bump into him in at work. And like, I wasn't serving him, but I saw him across the foyer and I was like, hi, and he said, hi. And then he just yelled, he's like, have you seen Walk Hard yet? <laughs> and I was like, I've heard, I've seen it a hundred times. I'm just waiting to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, I kind of felt bad because I ran, like I happened to run into him when we did the um, Change for Life episode and it was kind of the exact same thing. But I hadn't seen Change for Life yet. We, ha- we have yeah. lots of... Have you seen this 93 season? <laughs> Fucking stacked. We've got our plate full. We are. That's, uh, not how, that's not how I wanted to start the episode. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're doing the one that's going on the main timeline. But uh, hey, listener, uh, if you do one of these little things called go to patreon.com forward slash the PCC podcast, you can go over there and get like, you know, bonus things. Like, for instance, today, the day of we're recording this, it's uh, May the 4th. Be with you. May the fourth. It's not even happy holiday anymore. It's just called May the Fourth Be with You. Apparently, um, yeah. hashtag May the Fourth Be with You. <laughs> and uh, Phil's wearing his Star Wars shirt and everything. And we just did an episode for dude. fanboys, and it's only over there for patrons. So if you're a backer mm. there, all backers can get it right now for as low as just one pound. Obviously, by the time this episode goes out, it'll be after May the Fourth. But still, it's a solid, solid episode. I was really happy with that episode, and I was really happy with last week's episode as well. I edited them back-to-back on the same day, and I was just like, dude, those are two quality episodes. So that's what you're getting from us every Quality. Week. Sometimes Over- two. And quantity. Week. <laughs> yeah. Bruh. <laughs> so sometimes it takes a while for us to get to these bonus episodes that we're actually about to record after we do, do this it. week's yeah. episode. Yeah. So, so it's, it's coming soon, Manish. Um, probably already in your feed by the time you're hearing this, maybe. Yeah, see, it just doesn't even matter anymore. <laughs> I feel like we're coming hard at Manish. Like, it's so funny. This is it's our like, thing, it's though. It's literally our fault. We always um, attack the fan. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, always. Yeah, why wouldn't you want to support this uh, listener-supported podcast, you know? There's no ads. There's no ads. There's no yet. ads. It's up sometimes, but they're fake ads. Fake ones. They're not they're real. Fake well, welcome to the Pod Charles Cinecast, presented by Hello! Uh, the Prince Charles Collective and the Prince Charles Cinema. No, we are not the King Charles Cinema. We did not change our name. We did I'm not. I'm just going to try to do as many little voices I can possibly do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's one of those episodes. That film started yeah. out that we're talking about this week. It started out hot with like, you know, mm. just pick it up, pick a, it up. a oh, voice oh. Yeah. display. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dream job. This motherfucker over here coming in talking about like the politics of whether or not we should be showing little kids, you know, some shit about smoking cigarettes. Yeah, exactly. This motherfucker dresses up as a woman, lying to his kids, lying to his ex wife, causing all sorts of problems. Maybe he's not saying a good example. Yeah. Mm. I, Getting into all kind of yeah. antics. Yeah. But he learned a a valuable lesson. What's that? I don't know if there was a lesson learned here. To be honest, at the end of the day, he learned to be a better father and a more attentive person. Okay. More caring and unselfish person. The the movie sort of ends on another example of him like having an argument with Miranda and kind of blaming everything on her. 
like it's so close to the end and then you have that like little cap if, off at the very end where yeah, it's like it's the marriage it story thing where it's like every day I wake up <laughs> it's that moment because that's right at the end of the movie oh man we're getting so ahead of ourselves man yeah. how are you doing Phil how was your May the 4th how's it been I mean it's been okay mm-hmm. I'm wearing a shirt yeah I watched some uh, Darwood Vision this morning which okay. is very good it's an animated anthology show where like every episode like standalone every episode is animated by a different uh, studio cool. the first season was all Japanese animation the nice. second season is international um, so you got loads of like cool um, like creative behind it Ardman did an episode um, so I watched the first they really short like 15 minutes piece and they could be hit and miss but they're all like visually very lovely and like yeah. it's always none of, they're not in canon they're not like they rarely would have characters from the main sort of theory they're all very much standalone and it's just for real fans fans of the extended universe <laughs> it just shows it shows just like how much life there can be in that world if you like come at it from different mm. angles different perspectives nah bro I'm, I'm all about just like rehashing that Death Star plan you know that's all There's I no need. Death Star in these. That's all I need. <laughs> Although later, over on my, on my, and over, over and over and over. Even if it's not the Death, Death Star, Star we're going to just do it again Star. in a different kind of guise. Even if it's not the Death Star, it's going to be it's a, a different guy with a, a different mark with a yeah. different Death Star. <laughs> get a different person with the blue sword. I love uh, it. I'll watch it till the end of time. Yeah. I might do Return the Jedi later because it's 40 years. Maybe I'll do nice. that at the little... Nice. celebration but i'm i'm okay how about you i, I dude i'm all good man Life, i went I, I went and i was telling you before we record i did a thing i went to fucking uh abbey road studios today that was crazy maybe legendary it'll be, maybe there'll be more about that later in the future mm. dropping some hint bombs um <laughs> but i'm pretty sure some of the star wars shit was scored there uh Definitely. at abbey road and mm. uh heard a lot about raiders being scored there and stuff and just fantasizing about john williams inside like this big fucking studio one just to be a yeah going, to be able like, to like a fly on the wall yeah, in one of those sessions just, just like watching sounded that mental dude. like they were using old like tape deck that probably the beatles used back in the day like you know to record some of their stuff and like Talk about the Beatles again basically had like four <laughs> tracks <laughs> <laughs> to record like Raiders really that, it sounded it sounded insane um but yeah and then we went over into studio two where the Beatles were hanging out and saw the piano where they recorded day in the life and that that was cool <laughs> that is cool man I'm gonna go, I want to see it I want to I want to go yeah Did they do public tour no thing? no um, I can't really say why I was there, but like you know, they already threw a hint. I've told you, but um, yeah, yeah. Anyway. I'll tell you later if you find me. Yeah, <laughs> if you find me off the podcast and you ask, what was Jonathan doing at Abbey Road? I'll tell you. Yeah. Don't worry. Yeah, I didn't uh, find if, shit. If uh, <laughs> certain people who listen to this podcast might be a fan of like the music I do, it has nothing to do with my music. <laughs> Oh, I'll that's what I was going to say. say. Yeah, I'll go ahead and say I am still Like, where do you think he's recording that album, anything. bro? Yeah, yeah, where do you think what do you think's been taking so long, bro? <laughs> I'm mastering all the stuff I recorded in my yeah. bedroom at Abbey Road. It's amazing. 
Oh, God. No, I'm nowhere Upgrading near. Upgrading to forward track. You know, I got a little bit of free time this weekend. I might I might try to work on that song that's been the bane of mine. It's just, it's just, just the one, one song. song. Oh, my God. I either do way, it or man. I need to cut just, it out. But I feel like yeah. if I cut it out, I only have nine songs on the record. And it makes me feel weird. And you I, need like, a perfect I kind of want ten. I want ten. Ten feels ten good. good. You know, ten. Ten does feel good. Ty Dillon. Ten. Yeah. <laughs> Sean Spears. I'm doing the thing. Yeah. Uh... Okay, well, ah, let's just get into this episode. We already started talking about it anyway. We ducked the heat last week, you know? We cleared our names for that little uh, tiger selfie nonsense that we kind of got into. I, I don't know. <laughs> it was it was, it was was kind of nothing in the end. I know. We were crazy back then. I think, like, the tiger ate the camera anyway, so there was no proof that we tried to take, like, a photo with the tiger. So it was kind of... it was Exactly. Important. Whatever. It's one of the more important things, you know, Phil. It's uh, time for the Philiversary. Meet a boy named Phil, born in 93. Time to celebrate Philiversary. He and John are gonna take the cast to a time way, way back in the past. Phil, Phil. God, just getting closer and closer, man. <laughs> Last week, we crawled around in even more sewers as we learned never to trust doctors. And, you know, they just might kill you and become pro wrestlers. So, like, <coughs> yeah. Stay away. Whoa, who's that? Pro wrestlers, you say? Oh, God. Well. Guys, you'll be really interested to know that uh, you got a little bit of user feedback. Oh, he brought our mail. That's nice. Yeah, guys, I got some mail for you here. What we got? So, you know, last week you were talking about, you know, a listener sent in a little bit of something about the Running Man, which is a film I'm very familiar with, right? Because <laughs> I was, I happened to be in it. Uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. that listener He's hit just us doing back the up. Now. Yeah. He hit us back up again. He said, "Fugitive to the Running Man." Fugitive. It's a film that's starring Harrison Ford. He's a mm-hmm. he's a character called Doctor Richard Kimball. Detective John Kimball is a character played by. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold Schwarzenegger has a role in The Running Man, which also stars Jesse Ventura. <laughs> it's all connected. There we go. It goes, yeah, only three degrees of separation away. See, we went too far. Can't escape. This is uh, been Conspiracy with Jesse Ventura. I'll see you guys later, right? Okay, you can see yourself out. Wow. That was weird. At least it, that was weird. At least you're polite this time, though. Yeah. He's been nicer about his comings and goings, I guess. I don't yeah, know. which is nice. Maybe he like yeah. wants to seat at the table. Maybe. Maybe we'll have him on one week. I don't know. Yeah, that'd be exhausting for one of us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, now that that's out of the way, that was weird. Uh, now, this week, we learn not to trust our fathers. <laughs> Phil. Do any of us really know our fathers? I thought we left our daddy issues behind in that therapy episode last year. Apparently not. What film are we talking about this week? 
<laughs> oh, yes, dear, Mr. Doubtfire. <laughs> Hello, I'm Euphigenia Doubtfire, dear. Bon appetit! It's homework time. You can't imagine what it was like being married to Daniel. He sounds like an absolute stallion. Robin Williams, a man who'd do anything. Back off! Got a time here. To see his kids. Oh! Mrs. Doubtfire. My first year as a woman. I'm getting hot flashes. Eccentric actor Daniel Hillard, played by Robin Williams, is an amusing and caring father. But after a disastrous birthday party for his son, Chris, oh. we're in the 90s, son. Matthew Lawrence, boy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, wow. How much like love could we possibly give to like Boy Meets World and stuff on this podcast? And then like Matthew Lawrence just comes back into the picture, nosing his way yeah. back in. Man, I'm not even going to lie. I'm pretty sure there's going to be two references to our body swap season episodes in this episode, you know, because right. uh, one Matthew Lawrence last appeared when we did the hot chick, right? So yeah, unfortunately, we'll yeah, see if um, <laughs> another familiar name from that season comes back uh, a little bit later. Uh, his wife Miranda, played by Sally Field, got hair game in this film, uh, draws the line <laughs> and files a divorce. He can see their three children only once a week, which doesn't sit well with him. He also holds a job at a TV studio as a shipping clerk under the recommendation of his court liaison. But when Miranda puts out an ad for a nanny, he takes it upon himself to make a disguise as an old British lady named Mrs. Doubtfire. And he must also deal with Miranda's new boyfriend, Stu, played by Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> Sure. Oh, 007. Mrs. Doubtfire wins over the children and helps Daniel become a better parent, apparently. But when both Daniel and his nanny persona must meet different parties on the same night at the same restaurant, whew, classic 90s trope, double booking oh. yourself, his secret risk being exposed. It's the 1993 comedy drama written by Randy Mam singer and here we go phil leslie dixon the uh writer of freaky friday body swap oh there hey you there go. you go yeah, and yeah. it's directed cool. by cool, cool. chris columbus hot takes yeah, off the gate course. phil oh how in the fuck um, did this film get made <laughs> yeah how do they real make quick. movies like this i don't know real <laughs> quick that that two dates to the prom sort of sequence yeah. in this movie. It's so amazing. Yeah. It might be the best version I've seen of it. Uh, Mr. Doubtfire, uh, how the game. I, I, Mr. Doubtfire is a family classic. Yeah. It, it shouldn't work. It should be mad outdated. It should be mad problematic. And it kind of is at times. It kind of is at times, but it <laughs> mostly holds its own. I find yeah. it like, like Tootsie. 
Tootsie should not work. Yeah. It's the same kind of thing because it's never, the joke is never him dressed as a woman. It's him acting in this way, trying to keep a secret. It's not, and it's, it's that classic, classic thing of like having to become a woman to learn to be a better man. And just Robin Williams, just peak on form, amazing, wonderful performance, hilarious and sad and sweet. And I, I really like movies like you know this kind of had the courtroom drama side to it and anytime it's like a, a like a dad sort of, you know fighting for his kid or something it always gets me for some reason and, and that's done really well here and I wanted you brought up daddy issues but I wanted to bring up that it's a flip that when we normally get you know we would get the fucking shitty dad the shitty distant working dad in this <laughs> yeah, movie this is the, the opposite he's too <laughs> no. not even that he's just too good of a dad that's mm. the fucking problem it drives him crazy it drives him to break the law i'm addicted and- to my children <laughs> <laughs> okay young man um but no i think i think mr doubtfire is brilliant man like it yeah. still holds up like i put it on like forgetting that we were actually going to do it for the podcast. Me and Dusty just threw it on one day. We're like, fuck it. Let's watch Mr. Doubtfire. And it was just really good. It's still holding up. And it's one of my favorite Robin Williams performances. It's just, yeah, it's, he's just one. He's wonderful in it. Like he's so good. Everything. And they let him like go they, you know, they play it sparingly, but he gets a lot of moments where like, doing the Aladdin thing where you just go in character to character. Like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, you know, yeah. I do a great, I do a great impression of a hot dog, that sort of thing. <laughs> but like it has, a, it's just, it's really well done. Like I don't feel like anyone has never painted at the bad guy. Like I feel for Sally Field. I feel for Robin Williams. I feel for the kids. You actually like the kids, which isn't always the case in these movies. Even like Pierce Brodnan, like that character should just be written as an asshole. He originally was actually. He was supposed to be more of a villain, but they like decided, hey, let's make him a little bit more likable. It's deeper. It's just way better. He's yeah. just like, he's not the bad guy here. He's like a genuine guy who loves this family. And like, that's mm-hmm. just something where, like Daniel had to like get used to. And it also avoids the very, it leaves it kind of open, but like, I don't, it le- avoids that sort of happy ending, quite bittersweet. The whole thing is like, they aren't going to, get back together probably, but they could still be a family. I think it does that really well. I don't yeah. know. I really like Mitten Duff. I yeah, have a lot yeah, of fun yeah. with it. I've got a no, lot of I was, time I was coming at it kind of like joking around because it is one of those things where it's like, dude, it is like, how does this get made? How how could you possibly make a film like Robin this? William and a woman. Yeah. It's like. Yeah, here we go. Just find it. <laughs> I mean, in the 90s, Blank it check. makes more sense. Like today, I, it would be really hard to imagine them doing this like without but dude, you know, they, but they still do. They they make those Medea movies, and we have missing. No, I, what I was going like, to say, like know? without like, um, you know, being very careful about how mm. they present it. Uh, sure, sure. I would. I mean, I don't know what like the Medea films and the Mrs. Brown's Boys films. I mean, but the thing Big is, Mama those <laughs> those films aren't like this though, in the sense of those characters are meant to be women. It just happens to be a man playing the character, right? Uh, like yes, I'm pretty I sure guess, yeah. like I'm not seeing any Mrs. Brown's boys but I, she's supposed to that's supposed to be a woman whereas sure, I know sure. Medea is that way as well but I, okay. I wanted to kind of like talk about because this is a classic example of a, of a film where a character who of one sex like does a cross dress into another sex so it's clearly mm. like he is a man who's dressing as a woman and mm. what I meant more of like the 
being a bit problematic or being like something you have to be careful with is the fact that like, you know, it's a sensitive topic in terms of like where people are treated very badly who are trans and, you know, in a non-conforming gender uh, Mm -hmm. identity. So it's like, there's a few lines here or there that get spewed out in this film where it's a bit like, a bit touchy, a bit dodgy mm. uh, territory. Mm. It mm. is the nineties. So it's, so you're also dealing with that, but like for the most part, it's not too bad in that, in that sense, <laughs> but there are a few moments. It's funny. Cause like I brought up the hot chick, the hot chick is like a body swap film. So it's not necessarily like someone dressing as a woman and trying to just, pretend they're a yeah. woman or something like that. Who is a man. Um, it's just Rob Schneider acting like a woman. Yeah. Uh, but doing like a bad job. Weirdly, there were moments where that film like touched on some issues. You remember, like where we were like, "Wow, that's oddly progressive for this film." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or oh, the know. brother. Yeah, the little brother. Yeah. But then there's like you know there's classic examples like you already brought up Tootsie. Mm. I haven't seen Tootsie in a long time, but like you said, Tootsie does somehow kind of work. Uh, but then there's mm. films like you know some like it hot, which I think is like fucking great oh it's classic it's a proud tradition in comedy <laughs> for men to dress up as women yeah like from what i remember the there's not like i can't remember there being anything that was really like harmful in some like a hot and even at no the end, i just saw the it amazing ending like the oh, last line is like one of the most beautiful ending. lines because it's sort yeah. of like you know not anyone not everyone's perfect which they almost touch perfect. on with the bus driver in this film Almost. They do that moment like, like that where he just like he yeah. does get to see the other side of like yeah. how difficult it is to be a woman in in this world. You know, just like even dressed as he's dressed. Yeah. He's getting unwanted attention and like, you know, someone trying to take it back. <laughs> <laughs> I love that bit. Yeah, I mean <laughs> you know, big, shit like that. Big Mama's house is like a total sort of that, like riff on the style of thing. Yeah. Um Nutty Professor even to a certain extent. Yeah. Yeah. And just with the family stuff. Just one of the guys. We should do a season. <laughs> Have you seen just one of the guys? Like, because no. I'm always interested in the because there's not as many, but like the women who like dress as like men. She's the man. Like she's the man, and just one of yeah, the guys, yeah, and yeah. like yo, those are definitely like interesting like examples of Mulan. Like, Mulan, yeah, Mulan, Mulan, yeah. fucking great man. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a funny sort of like trope in films or genre of films um but yeah i, I mean like they, it, they it's don't very vaudevillian work. almost <laughs> yeah they don't work yeah they don't and i think work. a lot of it passes on the charisma and likability of someone like a robin williams there's not like a malicious bone yeah you know what i mean like in he's so goddamn likable he's just <laughs> lovable, we're talking about, like, he's so Hulk, fucking he's so funny amazing. in him like yeah and that's like completely different that character yeah. and like this completely different from like jumanji and the genie like you just touch on a role in the mm-hmm. 90s and like doing family movie but without like and again that's the whole point in this movie without patronizing kids without yeah. talking down to them we can still make it fun and smart and interesting for grown-ups as well which i want to know more about and i'm assuming you have because i've heard in recent years there's like more grown-up cut of this movie that exists somehow yeah but like i, ca- I don't know that. where i don't know where that comes from if that's just like they probably let him riff quite a lot yeah and they had to cut a lot of it out and then maybe if they left it back in it would push it up a little bit <laughs> yeah there's a yeah, I've got like a pretty interesting little uh episode laid out here for you guys. Um that does include some maybe a 
bit of rumors of it, a more adult cut out there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a classic. I mean, I grew up with this film. You know, it is one of these films like Me you too. know, being from you know, born in '89 and like you know, of the age of like four or whatever when this film came out, four and five. You know, it's it's a classic. And then you've got like mm-hmm. you know familiar faces like you know like i already said matthew lawrence but then his daughter one of his youngest daughters is uh is matilda Matilda. dude like you know classic dude so yeah like people like mara wilson being in this it's awesome to see them yeah sally field i've always really liked and robin williams of course is amazing and uh yeah pierce brosnan's hilarious in this and there's like so many good like faces that just pop up in this uh so yeah like this is a great film. I mean, it does have some funny moments where you're just sort of like, that doesn't really fly today, but you know, overall it still works. And I think it's, it is through the charisma of Robin Williams. And you're there for like some of the best, like clap sticky sequences, like Mm -hmm. ever, like done, like put the foot, like just like him setting himself on fire, trying (laughs) to cook, you know, or like him trying to, be his brother and his sister at the same time. Yeah. Jesus and then Christ, the din- yeah. and then the dinner and it just yeah. it pays off all so well and they tie it off so well and everybody plays off it well. Like I appreciate all the relationship he had with everyone and they're all it's just such a yeah, it's just really well done. And like yeah. everyone everyone's really good in it. Like even like Sally Field is really great. She had like one of the funniest bits when she like finds out and she's just like the whole time, the whole time, the whole time. <laughs> she does like yeah. five or six different deliveries yeah. of it. And like yeah. just that, that thing. She's like, I gotta go. We should, we have to go. Like, I can't deal with this. And like, yeah. that's just such that's a almost great like one of those examples. Reactions. It's just really well written, really grounded. Yeah. It's almost like one of those examples of like someone doing a line take just to like see how they can say it and then like you imagine they would <laughs> they just cut it that. off like but they just use the whole thing because it's like oh this is really funny like yeah, yeah yeah i yeah i love that like there's a lot of good moments like that in the film like just yeah weird and you could tell it was like a lot of stuff was just like you know totally off the cuff with robin williams and yeah there are numerous versions of different scenes and stuff as well like you know just because mm-hmm. he was just going and riffing and uh improvising as he went and yeah it's kind of like an interesting story because like mrs doubtfire itself is actually an adaptation of this book called madam doubtfire from 1987 oh. written by Anne fine which i didn't really know about uh until like maybe a year ago like i didn't know it was like an adaptation at all um, mm. It's also known as Alias Madam Doubtfire in America, I believe. The origin of uh, Doubtfire, though, was actually based on this, this secondhand store that Anne Fine had been to in the 70s called uh, Madam Doubtfire in Edinburgh, uh, which was owned by a woman named Annabelle Coots. And she had named the shop after her husband, Arthur Cyril Doubtfire. And uh, yeah, I think she was just like sort of this lovely eccentric lady who had this like mm-hmm. amazing weird little shop that uh, a lot of people were pretty familiar with in Edinburgh. And uh, I think she passed away by the time Anne Fine wrote the novel and she was looking mm-hmm. for permission to like, you know, use the name Doubtfire. And uh, I think it was one of her sons that was like, yeah, you could use it. That's fine. She would like really yeah, appreciate such an, that. It's such an odd name and it's such yeah. a weird stretch in the movie for he finds the name. <laughs> yeah. Like the newspaper a, article. The most brilliant. Like police doubt fucking, fire, you know. It's, it's the most like, oh, like, perfect. 
Like it's like a cartoon trope, uh, man. Uh, 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 yeah, like, uh, like the Simpsons. <laughs> like it's something straight uh, up. Ironing Simpsons. point. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, it's so good. So but it's like great. I think it's Simpsons where he's like, "Oh, mo- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, oh yeah. shit!" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. Um, but the plot of the book is actually relatively similar to the film. Daniel's an out of work actor. He moonlights as a new model in an art class. And when he learns that Miranda's going to hire a Fucking nanny. Robin Williams, imagine. <laughs> just the bountiful hair. Yeah, it's just nothing but hair. Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't even see anything. When he learns that Miranda's going to hire a nanny, he dons a turban, layers on a lot of no. makeup to, uh, you know, well, you know, like an old lady turban, you know, like. Oh, okay. sort of thing. All right. Uh, it layers up makeup to convince her that uh, he's a woman named Madame Doubtfire. The kids figure it out pretty quickly in the novel. I think the two mm. daughters they know catch immediately. Kissing. They're just like, you're our dad. And yeah. the uh, the brother doesn't quite know, and he has to be explained to. Mm. But the mother doesn't know, and she never really like figures it out until later in the novel. And it's like really weird, because a lot of people who have read the book are all like, does she like know, but she's not letting on or something? Is she letting this charade go? Cause it's like, she, yeah. she has to like, know. it's just like too obvious. She's just like, Oh, you know, she looks so familiar. Yeah. Cause it's, it's not like it is in the film. Like the makeup in this movie is tremendous. Oh, it's insane. Like yeah, he yeah. looks like an old lady. Yeah. Like, they do a fucking great, some of the best like practical effects yeah. of the nineties right here. Jurassic park. and it's amazing too because you kind of get like a little sense of it too which i really appreciate the scene where he goes to visit his brother oh dude don't even his brother yeah i love that dude does all all the makeup and stuff and like and and riffing off all the characters yeah yeah, does, like you get, the Hispanic woman, and yeah. does the old Jewish lady, and then yeah, they find Barbara Streisand. Find. <laughs> yeah, Barbara Streisand. <laughs> oh, I love yeah. that bit so much. Uh, but yeah, it's cool because you get to see them actually make the mask and everything. It's like really a neat scene, although like it's not nearly as uh, time-consuming as it really I was bet, in real yeah. life. They make it look really easy. <laughs> yeah, and because like you know, in the movie, it's just like it's the suit, and then he just puts on the mask and the wig. But it's like no, like they there's need no to, way like, in hell. and shit, yeah. you know, and there's like no do way makeup in hell he'd be able to do that himself. <laughs> yeah, no way. That's insane. Yeah, but anyway, the kids figure it out pretty quick. Madame Doubtfire is a poor housekeeper in the book, but proves to be pretty good at gardening. And eventually when his secret comes out, Miranda ends up hiring Daniel as the gardener so he can spend more time with the kids. More time with the kids. Uh, so right, that's pretty yeah, much how similar. that novel goes. Yeah. And fine to say that she's not really much of a fan of the film. Uh, I think she did appreciate in the long run, like, you know, the amazing performance by Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. But when she was asked, like, who she would like to play the role, she said that her ideal casting would have been Warren Beatty simply because she wanted to imagine a notorious ladies man cast as a lady. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Yeah. Do you like Warren Beatty or like Jack Nicholson or someone like that? That would have been great. Yeah. I bet that would have been way worse. Way, oh, way worse. worse. Way, way worse. worse. I'm not even yeah. talking about movie wise. I mean, more like the, the politics of it would have been That's what I mean too, yeah. <laughs> Every scene would have, he would have insisted on mentioning how horrible it is to be a woman. Yeah. I mean, I watched um, 
as good as it gets recently. Oh, yeah. And while, no, while, kidding. while it like, it does come around because it's like basically Jack Nicholson plays this old fucking curmudgeon who is rich and he's like a OCD, like severely OCD, but he like comes into life of this younger, much younger woman, classic old man with this much younger yeah, woman, yeah. Helen Hunt the Wood- and her the six Woody son. Allen formula. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and her six son. And he basically just like wants to help pay for like all the, you know, the stuff, but like in the background, there's another story where, uh, he's got a neighbor who's queer, uh, played by Greg Kinnear. And he like, Greg Kinnear gets beat up by someone and Jack Nicholson gets forced to look after like his dog. And like, he doesn't like the dog at all, but he, he comes mm. around to really like the dog, but he's like, a gay dog. severely homophobic, <laughs> like throughout the whole film. Yeah, it's yeah. really hard to watch at times. Like, and he does come around, but like, it's so like horrible. And I'm just imagining like, that's in my head. Like, that regardless, the, I, I don't know. I don't know Jack Nicholson, but he's a weird guy. But I can imagine that's probably not far from the truth. <laughs> like, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, that's the yeah, sort of for- thing. You know, I don't know. He's, he, you know, he, he was hanging out in the 60s. He's probably pretty hip at times. And certain, pretty woke. Yeah. In yeah, certain yeah. Uh, considerations. But, like, he's the type of guy you wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> if he did think there's shit, he'd be like, yeah. All yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. He's the old bastard. Yeah. yeah. Um, what about Dennis Hopper? He would have been a good Madame Doubtfire. Definitely. Definitely. Just on this run that he's on right now, like <laughs> yeah. Mario with the Doubtfire, people uh, would just be like, what the fuck is Dennis Hopper doing? It'd be well, great. You want to talk about casting one of this, Phil? Um, mm. what okay. Do? I don't know if this is true at all. Uh, this might be completely fake news, and I'll get to why in a second. But apparently 20th Century Fox was considering adapting the book as a spinoff of and I swear we brought it up last week or maybe ended the episode <laughs> last week with this. Uh, home Improvement no. with Tim Allen in the lead. Uh, oh, gosh. So the idea really? was either that it could have been like maybe a film or something like that where Tim and his wife Jill and Home Improvement get a divorce. Yeah. And the only way oh he could spend time with the three sons is to dress up as the nanny. <laughs> While maintaining a public, like a, a broadcast <laughs> yeah, show, you yeah. know, like a cable show. Yeah. All right. Tim Allen apparently didn't really like the idea, um, but Fox still wanted. Did, can we make it Christmas? <laughs> yeah. It's like, can I be Santa? Um, yeah. But Fox apparently still wanted him in the film, like even though they can, they like you know dropped the whole home improvement aspect and they went ahead mm. with the film. Apparently, they still want him in the role, and they offered him the role of Daniel. St- still or as the role of stew and apparently turned both of them down but i this came up a lot it came up a lot in the research for this film but i've also read somewhere else that that's like complete horse shit because (laughs) while it is a 20th century fox production the film was actually the first project from robin williams and his ex-wife marcia grass's grassy's williams uh blue wolf productions company and they produced the film uh, themselves, and it was something that they found themselves as to be the first project for themselves. So I don't know mm. what the actual truth is there. Like, I don't know if it was something that was offered, hey, you know, we have this, you know, mm. 20th Century Fox, like, hey, we have this. But from what I read, it was like they chose the project and they brought 
this to the table. So it looks like it was always sort of meant to be a vehicle for Robin Williams. For Robin Williams. Mm. Yeah. About um, they also produced the film alongside longtime uh, Chris Columbus collaborator, Mark Radcliffe. So he was one of the producers as well. Uh, Robin Williams said about choosing the project for their first project uh, for their production company. Marsha and I thought it was an interesting way of looking at how children dealt with divorces. A lot of times children are little hostages being passed back and forth. And this film uses comedy and a character to look at that. Uh, that's the whole reason I wanted to do it. Marsha Grasses Williams said, uh, I liked the grain of the idea when I read the book several years ago for a father to be so desperate to see his children that he'd go through such great lengths appeal to me. I love the character's range. He's a man who is angry, sad, jealous, funny, and warm at the same time. Mm. The challenge of portraying the lead character in Mrs. Dalfar was very appealing to Robin Williams. He said, it's wonderful to get to play a person inside of a person. It's almost like possession, like the old Mardi Gras mask. You know, there's someone inside there. It's two different worlds at once. There's fun in that, but sadness too. Daniel hears things that he couldn't hear as himself. Mm. <laughs> it's like a yeah. He figured out how shitty thing. he was for the last fifteen years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a like sort of interesting dynamic, like being a child of divorce. Like you know, I like saw a lot of stuff and heard a lot of stuff from both of my parents, and like you do. Like I, I don't know. I lived with my mom, and I never like felt like I was being shuttled from one place to the other. But like you know, a lot of kids are. You know, like mm -hmm. who are children of divorce, and it is sort of that way. And you do hear like some despicable shit that your parents say about your your Each mother other, or father yeah. they, behind their backs. Yeah, yeah. You become a sort of middleman for that kind of that yeah. sort of argument and stuff. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I like and he he plays all sides of emotions well in the movie. Mm -hmm. Like that moment does hit, like when he she he's talking to Miranda about that and she's sort of explaining what went wrong and he just sort of has to sit there and listen. And really come to terms with it. Yeah, that's really yeah, interesting. Yeah. Um, but he, do, he does a really convincing job, like of when you have someone like you know taking on a whole another identity, and even with all the physical stuff on, like literally that they're wearing, that helps sell it. But like he, it feels like a different. He, he, Mrs. Dalfire is like a creation, and she feels like a real separate character in this movie with her own agency and her own choice and even though they're the same yeah and that goes a long way just how convincing he is at that point like playing like two like even j just like daniel's already quite complex and then mr doubtfire is also complex and just having them both at the same time yeah just makes makes it very rich like he's the perfect person to play that character yeah it makes you wonder like how much like like, obviously, there's the whole, we already mentioned the sequence of going to his brother and his brother's partner and getting them to help him create the face, basically, to turn him into a woman, as he says. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Can, can you make me a woman? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm so happy. Yeah. <laughs> great scene. Um, Uncle Jack and Aunt Frank. <laughs> yeah. Which I, I love that. It's funny because there was moments in this film where they were so nice and progressive at the time. Like the one thing I would have done at the very end, which is like, you know, the really sweet ending of this film where mm -hmm. Mrs. Dalfire's on the television 
And like I was saying earlier, where it feels like there's this nice sentiment at the end with this ending message about children of divorced parents and Mm -hmm. how uh, it kind of comes all full circle. And uh, they kind of leave it on this weird, ambiguous ending where they kind of tell you like, oh, like there's possibility where parents get back together and they have Sally Phil watching it with this sort of face where you're not like, you're like, well, you know, they don't end up together in this film at this moment, but there's there's a chance they could end up back together um, in the future. Mm. But then, you know, Robin Williams as Mrs. Dalfire going through all the types of families that there are there. And I really wished like, this is, you know, me looking back like on a fucking film from 30 years ago, but like, (laughs) you know, how amazing would it have been if like spot, you know, when he's spouting off all the types of families there are, you know, sometimes there's a, you know, mother and father. Sometimes there's a just single parent. Sometimes children live with like grandparents or live with, you know, a foster family, blah, blah, blah. What if these, what if he said like, you know, sometimes children have two dads, sometimes children have two moms, you know? like Oh, did he what Does he not say anything no, like that? No, no, no. I felt like that would totally fit that speech. Yeah, yeah. You feel like he especially considering just, the brothers. Yeah, it could yeah. have just been shoehorned in there. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, that's like one of those things like, you know, like, I remember when I was a way. kid, roughly like around the same time that I would have seen this film originally or, or like maybe a couple years after. But I was, I remember being in school with a kid who had two moms and it was like, I didn't really clock it until later. Like years later, I was thinking back on it. I was like, oh, his moms must have been lesbians. I didn't really think about like <laughs> the fact that he, had, like, yeah, he yeah, was yeah, like, oh, yeah. I've got two moms. And they were both so nice. And I just, you know, I was just like, oh, cool. That's cool. Like, you know, I didn't really think it was weird or anything. It was just like, you mm. know, because you're a kid. That's the perfect time to like tell a child like that that's normal. And that's totally cool. Like, uh, sorry to all the people who think that that's like grooming children into believing that it's okay oh. to be homosexual. Like, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, these fucking people. Um, but yeah, they'll gladly laugh at Mrs. Doubtfire, right? Like, these fucking. Oh, it's a yeah, classic. Yeah. It's a classic, you know. But you're grooming my children. Like, oh, sorry, <laughs> I'm getting too political. <laughs> uh, no, it's interesting, though. I think. I think um, there's a lot of like decent messages in there, like that ending and stuff. It would have been nice to see that like kind of put in there. But like I said, mm-hmm. you know, I like seeing the, the the two brothers and stuff. But what I, oh, what I was going when I was spiraling out of control in that fucking direction. Um, what I was saying was like it, it would be interesting to kind of know how much preparation and thought or whatever he put into the character of Mrs. Doubtfire. Like because obviously yeah. the name kind of comes from nowhere, but he has the voice. He has the sort of idea. It's the he, little old the English lady, dear little puppet. Although you know, like he's totally like bridging into Scot- Scottish as well at times. It's really fucking muddy. Yeah, 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 it's yeah, really yeah. a weird dodgy it's, accent although for an american it, yeah. it doesn't really matter because americans Head by a don't guinness know. truck dear yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah what the trick that took him yeah yeah it does sort of go all over but it like works for americans you can't tell the difference yeah. bro especially it, it's funny when pierce brosnan a irish man yeah legit uh, irish says, tries to kind of do american well uh <laughs> but also says that he uh has a home in london which is funny but then questions the muddy accent which is like as much British as you could probably ask for from a film in 1993 for an yeah, American family, you know. It's but. still, dude, it's still one of the better UK, British, whatever accents I've heard from an American actor. They're not usually good. 
Like yeah. both ways, they're not usually good. Like British people doing American and always generic and fuck, mm. and American trying to do British is really difficult. Yeah, yeah. Um, Mike Myers is the other one. <laughs> Flawless Scottish accent with Shrek. Um, Dude, Mike Myers in a film that we're going to do later this year that I've. Uh, yeah, that you. I'm, I'm looking forward about. to I've not seen it. Dude, I've, he, I've, I'm predates I'm Shrek. Predates Shrek and predates. Uh, oh, yeah. Not gold gold member, but the uh, fat Powell. bastard. It predates fat bastard. Fat bastard, yeah, uh, yeah. For pulling out Scottish, he likes that accent. Yeah, good accent. I, he's probably got Scottish in him, I guess. Like you know, um, Mike, I think my the ears, thing is like yeah. for me though, because you know, I spent a lot of time in Scotland, and you know, going up because Julia is from Scotland, and it's like you know, such a like accent is a particular accent that you really start to get an ear for, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when someone's dipping into it or like, it's the same thing. You like really a lot of it. people try to do Scottish that are American and they come off sounding Irish or vice versa. And mm. it's like, it's all over the place and you really start to hear it. And I hear it in this film with Robin Williams, but it is pretty funny. The first time he puts the voice on, I was just like, damn, that's a good voice. Like regardless yeah. of the accent, Hello, it's just a great voice. Ooh, like the three bouncing babe. Yeah. 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 You've yeah. a denied dead fire. It's just like hitting this range. It's amazing. My name it sounds. <laughs> it sounds like an old woman. Like it's amazing yeah. voice. It's really good. I don't know how he done it. Yeah. He pitches his voice and the accent, like a bit all over, but consistent enough yeah. that you buy it. Yeah, um, it's great. It's great. Again, like a thing. It really lends to everything else in building that character it mm. just doesn't sound like him it doesn't sound like Roman, especially yeah, when yeah. he's going between the two yeah when he's like oh this yes dear and you know and just, <laughs> yeah. yes danny you know th- then they go back and forth it's incredible that he's like such control yeah over his own like vocal cords yeah you know <laughs> i do i find it impressive i don't know well chris columbus was hired to direct Ooh. following up his uh outrageous success of Home Alone 1 and 2. I mean, back I know we were saying in the Home Alone episode we did a couple of Christmases ago about, like, I feel like there's not a love for Chris Columbus, but I feel like I just have to reiterate it. Holy shit. Like, if you look at his filmography from, like, what he's written, like, you know, writing mm-hmm. Gremlins and, and stuff like that, and then to, like, stuff he's directed, it's like... They're just hit after hit, man. Even some of his like lesser known films are like, you know, maybe less like, you know, when his, you know, kind of the bottom fell out a bit, like in the mid 2000s, still some fucking great post films. Harry Potter, yeah. yeah post Harry Potter, like still some great fucking movies. I mean, he did the first two Harry Potter films, regardless of the, I mean, he I can't believe he had up, to bring yeah. up fucking Harry Potter in a film Potter. about someone. Well, you love crushing. Harry Potter. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just ironic they would come up in this episode, eh? Um, yeah, but eh? yeah, fuck, fuck J.K. Rowling. Um, but you know, <laughs> no, he had a, a fucking anyway. hell of a run. What a run! Up into and after the dude, motherfucker made Bicentennial Man. Yeah, so dude, just I put kinda, that in the pocket. I kind of and walk away. <laughs> I kind of love. I that love that movie. <laughs> no, dude, it's kind of terrible, but I love it. Yeah, um, no, he's made some fucking great film yeah i think it's just in because in recent years it's all kind of yeah. fucking fallen to shit i mean he made some like stuff that were big yeah but like not particularly good or well received and it's like 
Yeah, it's a shame because I was like, I feel like in the night, maybe get tied in too much with that Spielberg thing, and mm. or like, or even John Hughes thing, where yeah. it sort of like you just sort of get confused to one or the other, yeah, yeah, and didn't really set his own thing, like a Bob Zemeckis almost, you know? Like, yeah, he was Spielberg's boy, struggled to come out of that shadow, even though he did so much great shit. And even Bob Zemeckis is like had forged his own path, but it's very much on the same track as like James Cameron, where he's like really into like the tech and like CGI and motion capture and making movies Yeah, with that, like with that being the, you know, thing front and center, but like <laughs> Cameron's James, probably just James like, Cameron did, he's probably just looking okay. at him. He's like, yeah, why don't you fucking get a, like, you know, a mentor that's uh, kind of a piece of shit, like who makes shitty movies like Roger Corman. <laughs> <laughs> and then maybe then you can step out of the shadows, you fucking yeah. amateurs. <laughs> You know, but James Cameron's just like, ah, oh, that that's cool. What you're doing? I'm gonna do the same thing, but underwater. Yeah, cool. <laughs> no, there's no slight is Zemeckis or or Roger Corman. Uh, it's just that no, Roger like Corman is, uh, you know, he's like one of those directors that like just is like, you know, so underground. He's like the king mm. of the B, B movie. Like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But it's like everybody who was anybody in Hollywood looked up to him. Yeah, Columbus said, I wanted to make this film because of two things. First of all, it's rare to find a comedy script with an original premise that works this well. And on top of that, there was an opportunity to work with Robin, who I think is a genius. It's also a chance to move slightly away from the type of comedies that I've been doing and try to be more sophisticated, try a more sophisticated adult comedy. So, yeah, coming off the back of two ridiculously successful films with Home Alone <laughs> 1 and 2. And then just getting to do something that is a little bit more adult. And again, another ridiculously successful film. <laughs> Columbus added, the point of this movie is that as long as there's love, there's family. If there's a if there if there are people who love each other and are a unit, there's a family, whether it's a single mother with kids or a single father with kids or a traditional tr- two-parent family. We also wanted this to be a realistic picture in that. In 99% of divorces, kids don't see their parents get back together. In most cases, parents stay divorced and move on with their lives, and kids have to come to terms with that. So, again, sort of harking mm-hmm. back on uh, where we are talking about this being sort of like realistic depiction of a film where, you know, you get to see, like, the dirty side of divorce that you don't always get to see. I mean, of course, there's been some divorce films, you know, in the past, you know, that are pretty... Mm-hmm. Kramer versus Kramer. Um, yeah, Kramer versus Kramer. And then nowadays, the Kramer versus Kramer for the modern generation with uh, Marriage Story. Marriage Story, um, yeah. Yeah, those those uh, are kind of different, though, because they are like just so fucking serious and mm. heart-wrenching and just like yeah, hard to watch. Honestly, it's impressive that Dave Merton Dalfoy does such a good job finding humor in what can be a kind of really desperate, sad situation. Yeah. It really worked without losing too much of the sadness and edge, which that you can't you can't lose that. I give the whole movie yeah. meaning and a reason to be. Otherwise, what if it's just a fun thing? But it's like there needs to be a bit of stake in there. That and he is yeah. fighting sort of for his marriage and his life, and he just realized that he can have a different version of that that's still fulfilling. Um, from what I can find, Fox had hired Randy Mayhem Singer to pin the adaptation based on her unproduced script called A 22 Cent Romance. 
which won the first UCLA Diane Thomas Screenwriting Award in 1987, which I believe uh, Spielberg was one of the judges of that competition. So uh, to bring up Spielberg's name again, uh, <laughs> d- despite doing some TV, um, Singer wouldn't really work on another s- script until uh, 2010's Tooth Fairy <laughs> starring Join the Rock. Oh, God damn. Here we go. Another wrestling reference. But yeah, this might have to do with the fact that uh, Randy Mayhem Singer like was requested by Fox to make the ending happier and have the family reunite, which she refused to do, and she left the picture. So I don't know if that like harmed her Maybe credibility met- in Hollywood. I don't really know. That's a shame. Maybe she didn't really care. I don't know. I who mm. knows? I don't have. I'm not saying that one way or the other. But maybe possible. Mm. Mm. Um, but this is where they would eventually hire Freaky Friday writer uh, Leslie Dixon, who is credited as the co-writer, and she did that for them. She made it happier, but ultimately they all agreed it didn't really work, and they reinstated Singer's ending anyway. So oh, good. Well, what the <laughs> fuck then? <Yeah. laughs> That's so annoying. Well, obviously, for the cast, we have Robin Williams as Daniel Hillert, a.k.a. Euphigenia Doubtfire. Euphigenia Doubtfire. Euphigenia. What fucking name is that? Yeah. What did he look at That's for very, that? Yeah. Yeah. What, <laughs> that would have been great. But which article? Yeah. Yeah. Euthanasia. Oh, that's close enough. Genealogy. Uh, yeah. Something like that. You know, who knows what this fucker's looking at? Uh, Chris Columbus claimed that he and his fellow filmmakers looked through hundreds and hundreds of photographs until finding a 1940s era English woman to base Mrs. Doubtfire's look on. So they actually found like a photo and they were like, that's it. That's what we want Doubtfire to look like. The makeup process for the transition into Euphigenia Doubtfire took four and a half hours. Goddamn. Makeup artist V. Nil did the honors. No, alongside with Greg Canham and Yolanda to sing, won the Oscar for best makeup. So they got for their, this movie. Good. Yeah, they got their fucking money worth all that time. Yeah. It was so good though the disguise that it fooled many people on the set. Apparently, in an early screen test, Lisa Jacob, who plays the old, oldest daughter Lydia, uh, thought she was meeting with Chris Columbus's mother. You know, when they when she first saw Robin That's in the great. costume. Yeah. Just like this old lady just wandered on set. Do we <laughs> kick her out? <laughs> Apparently even his own son didn't recognize him when he until he began to speak to him. And it was like a story that I read that like Robin Williams went into a sex shop. So he's trying to like <laughs> get into character as Mrs. Mm. Delfire. So he's like sex shop first yeah, up, obviously. Yeah. Well, he was just trying to test how good the um how good the disguise was. So he went into a sex shop within the costume to try to buy a dildo and some lube. And uh, I think was eventually kicked out when the employee realized who he was. Oh, was okay. Like, Get out of here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I imagine that was very uncomfortable. He was asking all kinds of questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he was just like, I don't think you should use this matter. <laughs> yeah. uh, Sally Field plays Miranda Hillard. Uh Apparently, it was Chris Columbus's first choice. Just like it's great, absolutely great. Yeah, good. again after was this before or after Forrest Gump? Uh, this would have been before, right? This is ninety four on a roll. Yeah, so like <laughs> on a roll, just um, killing it. Yeah, apparently she was going through a divorce herself, 
at the time of filming this. So yeah, pretty sad. <laughs> she's, but oh, she's, she's taking a movie. Bad <laughs> fucking great in it. Maybe she was using a bit of that, like, you know, that vibe, real. you know? Yeah. That real fucking anger and shit. Yeah. I mean, That's I get it too. Cause that. you know, is, you know, we were talking about like, you know, Robin Williams, you know, his character, Daniel or whatever, loves his kids so much. He, you know, says he's addicted to his kids. He's yeah. like, he is a great father, but at the same time, he would be the worst partner. Yeah, that's the, the thing. Great father, bad husband. He's yeah. so inconsiderate. He just leave, leave the house a mess for her to clean up. Mm-hmm. Never, you know, like put all the weight on her because yeah. he, she supports the family and stuff. Yeah. Great. So great. <laughs> Pierce Brosnan is Stu Dunnemeyer. This is a uh, final role before he was cast as Bond. So he's good. You, I, yeah. you look at him, you're like, yeah, I can see it. I can yeah. see why they chose this dude to be Bond. Yeah. He actually like he got, he got the charm and everything. If I want to go back in time to like my memories of doing a Bond email and having to dive into James Bond. So he apparently mm. was considered well before. So he was on the television show Remington Still. And yeah. he was yeah, yeah. very popular from that. But like he basically hadn't really properly broken into films. I mean, he really got his his uh, big break when he became Bond and and, uh, you know, from there, just started doing a lot of films that were Bond-esque after he had his run with Bond. And, you know, now he's settled into like a very respected elder actor. Um, mm-hmm. Doing Black yeah, Adam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Mamma Mia and Black Adam. Um, <laughs> yeah, but like he was supposed to be Bond like I think they wanted him in the 80s. But, oh, what, like for the Dalton? Yeah, for the Dalton, Dalton movie. But he unfortunately had contractual agreements and obligations to Remington Still. So he wasn't able to. It's very similar to like Tom Selleck should have been Indiana Jones, but they wouldn't let him because he was like Magnum P.I. And then he couldn't get out of his contract to go do to go do that. So, but it's cool because he became Mr. Baseball. Yeah, fine. Mr. Baseball. Baseball. Greatest fucking man to ever live. Uh, well, like I said, he was originally supposed to be a little bit more uh, of a villain, you know, mm. but they did decide to rewrite him to be a little bit nicer and more of a father figure to Miranda's kids, which I think is great. So like, much better. They even, so uh, much better. They even like, you know, because you think, oh, what's this guy want? And even the whole time, it's more like in Robin's head, like in, in uh, Daniel's head, uh, that he he's like, what's this guy's fucking angle here? Because yeah. he's jealous and he like, he still loves Miranda, even though, you know, it's that weird thing. It's like, it's not even, it might not even be like that he ever sees himself getting back with her or whatever, but he it's just that he doesn't want to see someone else. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. Especially when it comes to his kids and. And all that. So he's skeptical of it. But then there's a conversation where they're at the bar uh, at the pool. and Yeah, and the guy's just like, what are yeah, you, what are what you are waiting for this? Yeah, this guy, this guy, he never wants kids. Now he's dating a woman with three kids. What are you doing? Yeah, what's, but he, what the, what's he, he the angle? He's like, hey, no, there's no yeah. angle here. Like, you know, yeah, I, fuck I you. really <laughs> like these kids. Like, uh, they're really yeah. turning, like, you know, especially... The, the the younger one he's like just grown really fond of him so yeah yeah and then which is pelt him with a bit yeah, of fruit which was uh the run by fruiting <laughs> I don't know what I, I was trying to figure out like exactly what went on there but that that line was definitely improvised which apparently it broke the run by fruiting yeah the drive by fruiting <sighs> 
it uh completely caught everyone by surprise and they all like you know were just laughing so hard there was a lot of that uh, apparently where he would say something uh improvise and just break the whole set and there's probably so many takes they couldn't use just because everybody's laughing you know mm-hmm. but i don't know if even maybe throwing the fruit was improvised <laughs> and he like fucking nails him first yeah try. he really gets them. like apparently it's first amazing. try it was just like bam like just nailed him in the back of the head there's another bit of uh i think a bit that i think that's improv story that i really like as well when they're at the restaurant and he loses his teeth in the drink yep, that's improv and he tried yeah. to, and he tried to get it out <laughs> yeah. and he got that great line where he's like carpe dentum yeah the, the teeth yeah <laughs> That just, yeah. I don't know. That just broke me. Yeah, yeah. A really great like reference to uh, to a previous film role as well. So like you know, it's great. Oh, Dead Poets Night. Yeah, yeah. Dead Post Night. Yeah. Just, so, yeah. Was, that's yeah. Cool. Oh, yeah, that's even better. We have uh, Harvey Firestein and as Frank Hillert, so Uncle Frank, and then Aunt Jack is uh, Scott Capurro. So I did I did see that they had to teach. Um, Barbara Streisand's Don't Rain on My Parade to Robin Williams because he didn't know this <laughs> Don't Rain on My Parade. I think he got the job, Harvey uh, Fierstein, so because excited. of his amazing voice. Like, you know, every time you see I was him, about to say. Amazing I love voice. seeing him and stuff. He's so funny. Apparently, he had, like, he was one of the people who, like, early days had been a part of a... So there's a musical now, which I'll, t- you know, talk about later. But Yeah, I've seen um, the fucking... Pictures. There was a version of the musical that was going to be made in, I think, 2015 or something like that. And I think by 2018, it was just completely like, you know, dead in the water. And I think Harvey Fierstein was uh, was one of the people who was a part of trying to make that happen. But it just never did. But they mm. eventually did make it happen later. Uh, but then COVID shut it down and then it opened it's back up and now. it's coming back and it's even coming to London. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm just I'm not a fan of the trend in the West End. Yeah, it feels like they I'm run sick. out of We've ideas. talked about this before, and I yeah, yeah I just, I just don't like it. And like, this is just the latest. Yeah, it's like this movie, but a musical. Big and it, it, they musical. do short runs That's and they horrible. fuck off. Big Back to the Future, you know, whatever. And I, I haven't seen those shows. They might be good, Pretty Woman, yeah. whatever. But it's just like I don't. Do you want a Miss Doubtfire? I didn't even want a Matilda musical. Yeah. And they made a movie out <laughs> yeah. of that one. And then we fucking showed it. We did. We did. Now we're doing a sing along version. Yeah. And it's just like they're going to make of Mrs. Doubtfire the good. musical, the movie. <laughs> and then that will become. Oh, and then that will become a musical. Starring again. Tim Allen. Oh fuck. <laughs> <laughs> He's the only person oh, that can do god. it. <laughs> yeah. Oh god! I'm in deep trouble. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I can't sing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, well, let's get to his kids. We have Lid- Lisa Jacob is uh, Lydia Hillert. Supposedly, she was uh, expelled from school for taking this role because it caused really? her to have too many absences. And Robin Williams, she's a movie star. Yeah, Robin Williams tried to like hit her up to, uh, well, like to hit up the school smooth to it smooth it over, but it didn't work. But He's you know, like, come on, I'm she had, a, she had a nice little career, like not as well as uh, the other two, I guess. But she did appear in um, Independence Day a couple years later, so like she had like a little oh, okay, run. Yeah. Uh, of course, Matthew Lawrence is the one that's persevered through all of it um yeah one of the iconic lawrence brothers yes so fucking weird man like right 
when I sat down to start prepping this fucking episode, man, like a story broke out. I don't know if you knew that the uh, Lawrence brothers have a a little podcast out now called Brotherly Love no. based on their no. old TV show. On the show. But oh, it's well, the name is the name is based on it. But it's oh, just they're not them. watching the show. It's not very good. I watched the, okay. uh, an episode. Those podcasts aren't usually very good. Yeah. I'll let you in on a secret. They <laughs> sit around at a table and they're just talking shit. Really, there's no real like format. And then it seems like they just occasionally get to like a, a, a topic. <laughs> Yeah, topic. Um, like, like I tried to watch the episode where they talked a little bit about Mrs. Doubtfire, and the only reason why they were talking about Mrs. Doubtfire is because they took like a listener question. <laughs> like, oh, okay. but the rest of the episode was literally them talking about Vegas for no reason, and a, like the entourage point, I imagine. Yeah, a couple of times the older, the older Lawrence Joey uh, used the word woke a couple of times, and it was sort of like. Ooh. Yeah, he he's my least fave. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, and he looked weird. Yeah, now. yeah. <laughs> but the well, other two are cool. On a recent episode, and this is uh, why I saw this and found out about the, them having a podcast. Matthew Lawrence came out and said that he was up for a role in a Marvel film, but he lost the role because he refused to strip for the director. Uh, the director I think I saw this. apparently was yeah. like nude or something. He got called to like a hotel room. The director was like nude on the bed or whatever. And he refused to strip for the director and was fired from his agency and everything. And which director named that dude. Yeah. So a lot of people have been speculating because he says Marvel film, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's like from the Marvel cinematic universe. MCU. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot of people has been speculating that it was Brian Singer and maybe it was an X Men, one of the X Men. Oh, but yeah, you know, that's yeah, fucking that. hearsay for me and from the internet. Mm. But anyway, sure, sure. But it was that weird timing. Check out that 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 came up and it was just like holy shit. But like Matthew Lawrence, man, back like back in that time, man, I could imagine him being in one of those fucking X Men films or a Marvel film or something. For sure, like. man. He was like, yeah, a, he was like a, a teen dude, dude, yeah. Yeah, and he's great in fucking Boy Meets World, and great. Yeah, yeah him he's, and Eric. he's really funny Amazing. in this film, he, but he does have one of the most problematic ones when he yeah, finds out. I, yeah, I figured you'd mention that dad. when he's seen the peeing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh, it's not the great line, best right? wording, but it's a good reaction. Yeah, just on him, great he's like freaked out, but like because horrible it's like, wording of it, like, and I yeah, imagine because, it wasn't him that. No, because it's hard because that. it's not. Um, yeah. Again, it quickly, yeah, it, could, it makes it uncomfortable. It's like, that's not the bit. It's that someone they don't know is in the house. Like, you know what I mean? It's like someone, they're pretending to be a woman or what? Like, and he's just really confused. They don't know how to play that scene. Because even that bit where he has to reveal and the, the son's still not, like, cool with it. Yeah. You know, you won't hug him, and he's just like, yeah, I get it, it's a guy thing. I'm like, what? He's, what? you figured it out now. Like, what? I don't <laughs> understand. <laughs> it's your dad in drag. It's fine. The thing is, like, when we go, like, talking about the whole drag thing, and it's like, I feel like Robin Williams, like, is incredibly, like, and was incredibly hip. Like, in totally oh, yeah, yeah, down, yeah. and, like, I think t- saw the film not only to be like, oh, it's like a challenge, like you know, to do drag. It's not. It's not even that. It wasn't even that. It was like stepping it, embodying someone else and stuff, and that being mm-hmm. the whole thing. But like the idea of I think Robin Williams doing drag was not a big 
fucking deal to him. I mean, like if you look at mm-hmm. any of his films from a time period where it just feels like he's done a lot of films that are like, you know, where he's queer and stuff and like, or yeah, around yeah, a lot yeah. of queer, like the birdcage is fantastic movie. <laughs> like it's really, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So it's like, yeah, it's it, not that big of a deal. And again, like, you give it like, you th- and I think you're right, probably hip for the time, progressive for the time, yeah. maybe. And we tend to forget that as years go on, mm. you know, it's just like it tried. Yeah, 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 definitely. Mara Wilson plays Natalie Hillard. She was only six years old and this was her she's debut. So sweet. She's really good. She's, she's, she's so, so good, good man. She's so sweet. Like, I, I, I think she's super cool and it's great that she's like, managed to get out of Hollywood on her own terms. She survived. survived You know, is a presence on Twitter and just like really fucking cool. Like always, you know, supporting like really good causes and stuff. And just like, yeah, just, you know, telling it like it is when she needs to and stuff. And uh, yeah, it's just like great how she had these like iconic roles though. Like, you know, Mm. like a, f- a few of them really but i mean obviously the big two are this film and then obviously matilda is like the the biggest and i yeah i find it like you were talking about matilda i find it hard to like want to watch that just because like fucking dan devito made the perfect matilda exactly i don't want to see anyone else yeah in that i don't want to see and it you can argue all you want that's based off the book yeah it take it it obviously taken a lot of cues from the movie mm-hmm. just maybe that's impossible to avoid because it's the first thing to like visualize it yeah but like so i don't want to just see like this pantomime fucking version yeah yeah yeah, yeah of yeah. this you know what i mean like it's I, bad I, enough I that the writer of the book is like problematic as fuck anyway so it's like uh, you know in like they that's two, two in one roll episode dolls <laughs> roll <laughs> dolls matilda it's like no yeah. how about just like yeah let's just like go back and just call it you know, Danny DeVito's Matilda. Like, Matilda, that's it. Yeah. That's all we need to know. We don't need to worry about the book or any other like versions None of it. Matters. Danny DeVito took that and ran with it. You know, apparently Blake Lively out of all people went out for this role, uh, of Natalie Hillard at age five. Um, but she oh, bombed weird. her audition. She said that she was like really nervous and she had watched like a Robin Williams film, like the night before she went to do her audition. And in order to keep her from getting too nervous, although he knew it wasn't true, Blake Lively's father told her that she would be reading the audition with Robin Williams' twin brother. However, when she sat down to do the audition, Robin Williams was there and the casting director introduced Robin Williams by his first name. That's Robin. Well, they're both called Robin. That's the thing. <laughs> so don't worry about it. But it's not the Robin. And apparently she froze up and was just like, ah, yeah, that's all right. Uh, she had a great career and she's still, I guess, doing stuff. And she's married to Ryan Reynolds. So who gives a fuck? <laughs> <laughs> she won in the end. Yeah. Robert Prosky plays uh, Jonathan Lundy. So the owner of the TV station. Uh, we'll see him again very soon because he's also in Last Action Hero. But man, I do not remember this guy being such a creep. It's like at the <laughs> end when they're having the conversation. So because we get to the big like, you know, double booking yourself thing. Like, 
you know, because he seems so nice earlier when Daniel like bad mouthing like this, you know, like who would keep this fucking guy on the air because he's so boring. <laughs> yeah, talking yeah. about the boring guy, you know, whatever his name, Mr. Sprinkles or whatever his fucking name is, uh, <laughs> doing his like boring dinosaur show. And uh, he's like, oh, that idiot's me, you know, and then like he's like, he seems so nice and stuff to Daniel. But then when he sit down and Daniel does that whole thing about like, like, cause he's got makeup on. Oh yeah. He's like got the ex-girlfriend. Ex-girlfriend. He's like, oh, she's, got, hand, she's got a friend. Ooh, like, got oh, friend. And he just gets so creepy. It's so weird. Yeah, It's, like, it's oh. really weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's so weird. It's like, that's the nineties. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we get Anne Haney as Mrs. Selner. Phil. Also, someone we're going to see very soon. <laughs> oh, <laughs> later God. Can't escape. Without like spoiling what film she's in. But uh, yeah, we'll see her. We'll <laughs> see her very soon. <laughs> uh, the scene where um, she's in, where you've, you've mentioned where Robin Williams is portraying both Daniel and Euphigenia Doubtfire in the same scene with her. Uh, so when the icing. He, he, I don't know if that was scripted or whatever as well. Like this is again, something, um, that I read was improvised, like him sticking his face in the cake, which I don't know if that's true. Cause that feels like that, that feels like that has to happen. happen. But what wasn't scripted was that, uh, the icing fell into into the the tea. Basically it was just so hot on the set that the icing just like tripped off his face. And he just kind of went with it. Like, I love that. Bit. There you go. So oh, gross. No, you got your cream and your sugar too. <laughs> like, oh, yes, dear. So good. And for that, we're going to call a snack time. There's something about that look you gave to me. I know you only need one thing. It's snack time. In the morning. It's snack time. In honor of uh, that scene with Mrs. Selner and the icing and everything, um, Robin Williams says to Mrs. Selner that, uh, well, Mrs. Dalfire says to Mrs. Selner that it's a uh, nightly meringue mask (laughs) 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 that he uses. So I have, for snack time this week, a sticky, sweet, toffee meringue. Oh. There's two of them in here, and I'm going to eat both of them. No, no. <laughs> eat both of them yeah, gonna, in one go. In one go. All right. So, uh, that doesn't sound appealing this to is me. From I the don't like meringue. Bakery at Asda. You know, there's different mm. kinds of meringue, though, because sometimes you can get meringue that's like a little bit more of a um, creamy meringue that's on top of like, you know, a, a nice like pudding or pie or something like that. But, sure, but sure. then there's also these like hard meringues. This smells mental because it's like toffee. So it's all like in shambles and pieces and stuff. <laughs> How are you supposed to eat this? Look at this thing. You put it. You, oh my I God. I can't even pick it up mess. though because like it's just a mess. It's like someone threw a meringue at the wall. Yeah. It's like if I, it's like <laughs> this weird toffee caramel bullshit in the middle. 
it's just in pieces. So let's let's try it. This is like a it's like, it's a like re- an ice cream sandwich. It's like a reverse s'more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. Look at it. Seriously, like it's like what the fuck? It's in in reverse. The good? It's just straight sugar. It is pretty good. Actually, yeah, surprisingly, sugar. It gives you that high. Um, surprisingly, actually decent. Really? Yeah. I thought it was gonna be it's worse. Like a, it looks, yeah, it looks like just too annoying to eat. And well, <laughs> like there's no way of looking good while, <laughs> while eating that. <laughs> but all right. Yeah, it's like the presentation. I, it's so weird. Hmm. How many meringue alone is not that great. You have that. That's what I mean. It's yeah, too sugary. Not it's just they, like yeah, they just they just I don't know. I'm just they they make me uncomfortable. But I don't this, know why. This uh creamy toffee bullshit on top. Yeah, a bit better. Hmm. How many? <laughs> um, how many voices are you giving it? How many voices? I hear voices in my head. In my head. They come to me. They understand. How many wrestling references can we get in this episode? Um, We've had several already. I don't know. Two and a half. It's kind of like bad. two, right down two the legit voices and then like a half-assed voice, you know, that might sound like one of those other voices, but it's just half different an impression. Enough. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> it's I down the middle. This- it's all right. It's okay. What did you get? This movie is rife with options. Yeah, there's so much to be food. Fair. A lot of yeah. food. Yeah. A lot of food. The whole dinner scene. And I was like, going to do something with pepper. But I went <laughs> with something specific. And I've already said it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie where they make the costume. They make the Mr. Doubtfire. Mm-hmm. And they sing, they sing a little song. Matchmaker, matchmaker, <laughs> make me a match. Find me a fine. Catch me, me a catch. catch. Yeah. And um, I've not tried these. This looks terrible. <laughs> Mint chocolate. Yeah, I've seen those, I, but I don't like. But I saw it and I was like, I have to. I have to get this. Yeah. They're, they're like fingers. I've seen those in the shop, but I, uh, yeah. I don't think I've never, ever seen this before. Never, uh, never had them. Yeah. Well, I'm going to put your curiosity to bed, and I'm going to try it, and I'll tell you if it's any good. Oh, you said they're like mint chocolates, right? Yeah. yeah. Fun to crunch, nice to nibble, matchmaker. It's just like an after eight <laughs> stick, right? <laughs> yeah, and I didn't like after eight. I think I had that one. Yeah, mint like chocolate's Grand weird, or man. Something. Like sometimes I can. Oh my god! It smells so strong as well. I can deal with Ooh. like mint chocolate chip ice cream sometimes, but like no, nah, everything just tastes like toothpaste. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll try. I'll try a stick. Whoa! 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 <laughs> Here you go, Matthew uh-huh. Lawrence. Love. Whoa! Whoa! Okay. I mean, I'm gonna. Part of the snack. I'm gonna wash it down with a bit of tea there. Here's a little spot of tea for little you. Spot of tea. I'm gonna drop okay, a bit of I'm gonna be a hypocrite. There. This is peppermint. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> this is peppermint tea, which I actually like. Yeah. 
good for your tummy. That's you know. The thing is, I like peppermint stuff, but sometimes peppermint and chocolate is kind of weird. Now it's better as <laughs> orange and chocolate. I like orange and chocolate. Don't even give me <laughs> You're one of those people. Yeah, I don't, um, I don't like it. I don't like yeah. orange with my chicken either. Yeah, I'm not a fan of these. Like, they're like, they're not even, they don't have the satisfying consistency of like, of a finger. They're yeah. like thin. They're like a twiglet covered in chocolate. Don't get me started with on very, <laughs> With a very, very strong minty flavor. Like, yeah. I can feel it. I yeah, feel yeah, like yeah. I'm just chewing gum, like a menthol cigarette. Do you ever have like um, peppermint patties or anything like that? Like as a kid no. or after eights, I guess is like the closest thing. After eight. I've had after eight. Yeah. How many like Heimlich ma- maneuvers do you give it <laughs> where your mask comes off, revealing your true self? With the T, I'll give it a two. Two. <laughs> it's not great. I'll have them because they're fucking uh, here. Yeah. But this feels like one of those snacks where I'm going to take it to work and leave it for stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's a perfect sort of like thing because they're like, there's plenty of them, many of them. Yeah, and you just you just nibble on yeah. them. Um, well, Phil, let's uh, get into this whole discussion. You're talking about a more adult version of this film. You know, the rumors. I don't really know where this rumor got started. Uh, it could have been because of uh, Chris Columbus. At one point, I think it was like maybe he did an interview or something like that and putting this film on like DVD or Blu-ray or whatever it was, or or maybe it was after Robin Williams' death or whatever. But anyway, he did like an interview where he did mention that he had like basically a, a lot of cuts of the film, basically. He had a lot of material to work with where he could have cut mm-hmm. the film to be like, you know, PG or PG-13 or R or NC-17 is like something he said, but he was just joking. So it was kind of a joke. And it's been also uh, dispelled by Mara Wilson as well, who did a, who wrote a book about her career in Hollywood and stuff. And uh, she also brought up the rumor and said that it's not really true. Like there's not really like a version. Cause like, it'd have to be like really fucking graphic to be NC-17. There's not anything in the film that would be that, that graphic. That bit where he's pissing, you actually are meant to see his, his dick. You have to his see dick, his dick. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's next week. But <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's the other thing we're recording. <laughs> but um, no, like there are versions though of the film where he did material while he was improvising that was a little bit more adult. That mm. if they kept it, kept it in the film. It would have caused it to go up. I mean, it was released as a PG-13 in America. And because of some of the sexual innuendo and stuff in the film, the film actually was released as a 12 in the UK, which was a big problem because we've talked about this a few weeks ago. Um, but like a, a, a 12, a hard 12 basically means that no one under the age of 12 can come in, even with an adult. Not the 12, difference right? is in America, when you have a PG-13, it's just like children under the age of 13 can't come in alone, whereas they could still come in with their parents. They could go to an R-rated film if they have their parents with them, if they're under the okay. age of 17. So the NC-17 thing is just like, that's like, you know, no matter what, you have to be 
an adult to come see this film or an X rating, whatever you want to call it. So it's uh, getting a hard 12 or a hard 15 here in the UK is kind of like a tough thing to overcome. Um, Mm -hmm. But they did have to battle with the BBFC a little bit and they had to take out, I think, like one sexual innuendo that allowed them to pass the cut as a, I believe a PG or at least okay. maybe a 12A. I'm not really sure. Maybe this was pre 12A. I can't remember. When yeah. Cause I remember 12A coming in. That was yeah. like late nineties, early 2000. Yeah. So they managed to get it down to a PG. Um, but I think since then there have been more uh, of the original cuts of the film that would have been seen in like America and stuff has been released. Like, or maybe the original cut that was released that was, you know, a 12 in the UK mm-hmm. has been since released on DVDs and stuff here. So it's not all like, you know, doom and gloom here in the UK, mm. but, um, <laughs> but yeah, but because Robin Williams was known for ad libbing and improvising, the film had to be part down and editing. And then over 30 minutes of the movie was re- removed, uh, between the initial cut and the final cut. Uh, had they kept it all in, the movie would have been around like 157 minutes long, which is basically like the length of a modern comedy, like a Judd Apatow <laughs> comedy. Yeah, which is way too long. Many of the deleted scenes uh, have since been included, though, on DVD releases. And much of this involved Gloria, the nosy neighbor, played by Polly Holiday. Uh, she plays Gloria Cheney. Um, so we see her at the very beginning of the film. She's the one who basically calls the cops on the party, which causes the huh. divorce to happen. Uh, so it's all her fault. Yeah, it's all her fucking fault. Although that divorce was definitely coming a mile away. It was just like oh, yeah, any, yeah. any sort of straw piece of straw that would have broken that camel's back was bound to happen. Um, <laughs> but anyway, she basically, and extended scenes that they cut out of the film would have been involved in a whole subplot with Mrs. Doubtfire where she basically badmouths Daniel to his face, but as Mrs. Doubtfire, so Daniel knows, but she doesn't know that he knows that she's been talking shit about him behind it, behind his back. <laughs> and as revenge, uh, Mrs. Doubtfire, here we go playing with the book a little bit, pretends to be a gardening expert who basically tells pa- uh, Gloria to put piss dog piss on her plants uh on her on her <laughs> prized flowers which ends up killing them and uh yeah later Good. reveals you know like <laughs> you know sort of a little bit of a play on like all oh, that was me as mrs doubtfire like as daniel you know to like mm. you know that's what you get you know so yeah <laughs> It's a sort of a funny little side plot that they just took out, but it is in the extended version. Uh, another scene that was cut was uh, was with Sidney Walker, who plays a bus driver. Uh, he had an extra scene where Mrs. Dalfire reveals that, like, yeah, I'm I'm a man, you know, because <laughs> like, he's still he's still gone trying to get her to go out on a date with him. And she basically says, oh, like, you know, the plumbing, we have the same plumbing. It wouldn't work, you know, and then eventually just kind of goes, I'm a man. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That scene out. Um, Yeah. Mrs. Dalfire was filmed on location in San Francisco and in the Bay Area. Five large sets were built in a hundred thousand square foot building in the Richmond district that used to be a candy warehouse. The home address you hear Miranda Hillard give 
Mrs. Doubtfire on the foam is the real address of the house used to film the movie. So 2640 Steiner Street in the Pacific Heights neighborhood. After the passing of Robin Williams, fans visited the San Francisco home and left flowers and photographs and letters on the front stoop. And I guess even since the film came out, it's kind of become like a tourist attraction, but even more so after his death. Chuck James, the iconic animator of like Looney Tunes and Merry Melodies uh, cartoons for a number of years for Warner Brothers, was hired to supervise the opening animation in the film. So it's very much like a Sylvester and Tweety Bird styled like cartoon. Mm -hmm. The full five minutes of Pudgy Parakeet and Grunge the Cat was released as a DVD extra. So you can see that. (laughs) Um, Music. The score is done by Howard Shore. I'm pretty sure it's come up a few times on this podcast. Uh, It's a Mm, classic 90s sort of whimsical like Score with a couple. Very naive family movie. Yeah, but yeah. It, what is more uh, overwhelming is the amount of uh, songs <laughs> that they pick <laughs> that are to do with that, like, yeah. innuendo, double entendre, yeah. you know, like, yeah, walk yeah, like yeah. a man, dude, look like a lady. And it's like, how many of these can you fucking fit? <laughs> Luck be a lady tonight. <laughs> yeah, Jesus yeah. Christ. Jesus Christ, yeah. Yeah, they, they really, like, pop those in. So, yeah, of course, there's Dude Looks Like a Lady by Aerosmith, Walk Like a Man by The Four Seasons, Luck Be a Lady by Frank Sinatra. Uh, but then you get a little bit of, like, hey, man, this is, like, proper 90s bullshit here because we get House of Pain, Jump Around. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Why not? I love You know you're in the 90s. Yeah, every time Robin Williams, like, raps, it's so early 90s. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hip-hop. Yeah, yeah. And that should be cringy as well, but that little dinosaur rap he done, it really is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so how the pain comes on, it's like, okay, yeah. naive. Mrs. Doubtfire was released in November 1993. Uh, regardless of the issues with its uh, ratings and stuff, you know, because we mentioned there was a bit of the issue in the UK, but eventually they did sort it all out. Um, but, you know, it didn't matter. This film was huge. As mm-hmm. I said last week, Iconic. it's the uh, second highest earner of 1993 behind only Jurassic Park. It went on to earn $219 million in the U.S. and Canada and over $222 million in other territories for a worldwide total of $441.3 million. Chris, that's what I mean. Chris Columbus, dude. Everything he was a part of. Just millions. Millions. He had that stick for thought. He knew. At the time of, of its release, critics compared it unfavorably with uh, Some Like It Hot, with some comparing it favorably to Tootsie. Uh, mm. Like I said, it didn't really matter because audiences loved it. It was a hit at the awards. Robin Williams won a Golden Globe for Best Actor in a Musical or a Comedy. And the film won right. Best Picture for a, for a Musical or a Comedy at the Golden Globes as well. Plus, as I mentioned earlier, it picked up uh, Best Makeup Oscar. So, yeah, it was doing 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 business. Well, um, <laughs> doing the business. But we mentioned a musical, but did you know there actually was attempts to do a sequel for this film? No. Yeah, so really? back in 2001, apparently Bonnie Hunt, of all people, was like involved in trying to bring a sequel to this film. But, yeah, they just couldn't really, like figure it out so there was no book or anything there's no follow-up book it's not like a Forrest Gump you know like where it's tailor-made and ready 
for mm-hmm. them to go have more adventures like force goes to space and all sorts of shit hanging out with them right a, there, a prostitute yeah. and a monkey and like you know like <coughs> i want to see that um yeah. but you know we we never got it uh but they tried mm, to do this shame. uh it was gonna uh, one thing i saw was it was gonna involve daniel moving close to lydia's college so that you can keep an eye on her which sounds like like uh then why did he have to be meant to doubt again? i don't know it sounds like you know, that kind of sounds like one of those plots from like, you know, Big Mama's house or something or or like yeah. a film from that same Will house or something like that. Like just a, one mm. of those like weird 2000s films. However, there was a lot of problems with the script. So like Robin Williams was just not very interested in any, you know, attempts they kept pulling out. And it was scrapped by 2007 because like. You know, Robin Williams said the script just never worked. And every time he was asked, he just basically was just like, yeah, it's just not working. Like he was on chat shows mm-hmm. and stuff. And he was like, oh, it just never really works. Like the script's mm-hmm. just not working out. So I don't want to do it if the script's bad. And it was announced again that a sequel would happen in 2014 with screenwriter David uh, Berenbaum, who wrote Elf tasked to pin it. Oh, no. But sadly, Robin Williams died soon That's after that. Way. And all the plans were canceled. So, so Yeah. Never got the sequel, but it's good. We don't need it. We don't We've need got it. The original, we got the original. Iconic. Again, it, it'd be weird anyway. It's like it's you're you're towing a fine line. In any respect, yeah. Towing a fine line. Anytime some guy dresses up like in this climate, <laughs> not the best. <laughs> no, you know, but, um, and and you just you won't you won't ever again. Like I was saying with the musical, you just. Why put anyone in the position to follow up? Yeah, Robin Williams. Yeah, you just can't. You know, we missed him dearly, and he was just like such a talent, like and just an overwhelming, like awe-inspiring talent. And you feel it in every movie we've covered, and we've been lucky. We've covered a couple Robin Williams movies. This one is one of his standout ones. One one of the most well loved, and you can see can see why. Like you know, it's got it dated stuff and it's problematic stuff but it like still holds at the good great satisfying emotional movie yeah good for kids good for grown-ups it's a good family movie as well and it's just and i think that's the difference again it's good that they fought for that rating because i think that makes that movie the ability to take your kid to i think is what makes it yeah um, yeah like, I mean, I saw this film, didn't even know that it was a PG-13, like, as a kid, because it was just, like, it kind of feels like a wholesome comedy. And I, you know, it, yeah, the yeah. sexual innuendo, like, is so, it's so, like, coded, like, for adults that, like, children, it would go it right over their head. head. You just, like, oh, he's just, you know, picking at stew. You don't really realize that he's saying the whole time that he has a small cock and, like, all sorts of shit, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so... Like it's stuff that I didn't even notice until this time around watching it. Like, cause I hadn't seen it in years, but you know, overall it still holds up. It's kind of fun. I mean, like, like I said, it's always dodgy territory. If you're going to have like, you know, guys dressing up like women, especially straight men. And if it's not like a queer movie, like for instance, like you, you could have really good examples of like, you know, cross-dressing and stuff, but those are literally like people who like are, you know, doing it for like, their lifestyle it's like you know yeah, there's yeah. great films like priscilla queen of the desert who come out the next year or the year after that to wong fu uh you know there's like some great movies <laughs> to deal with this but like not films where someone's doing it to like 
covertly like try to like get over you know it's it's weird it's dodgy Mm. it's a dodgy like idea for someone to be doing this premise even in that's why that scene at the end that's why that scene at the end is great despite and it really got me like this time and it always does but like this time especially watching that final sort of monologue he does in the courtroom Mm. it's really well done and it's really well delivered by robin williams you can feel it again the i'm addicted to my children it's like they're like air to me but like and then but the judge is just like but you're insane yeah you're an you know, actor, like you, you know. it, yeah exactly it's just like i get you've done all this but your behavior is not cool yeah 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 so i gotta take your kids away from you yeah. man and it's just so even then it was dodgy yeah i mean robin williams is like I, it really is just a testament to his ability as a performer as a comedian and as just like a low-key great actor because you know there's actually mm. a scene as well that they cut out that's in the extended version where um he's uh late to his daughter's spelling bee because there's a moment where in the film you actually see where the older daughter uh lydia is like practicing spelling words with mrs Delphi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um well, that was actually supposed to lead to another subplot where she has a a spelling bee but because of whatever reason i'm not really sure why but anyway he's late to the spelling bee and it kind of throws her off and everything and then there's like a a whole like moment with her in the street and he's like talking to her and he like he has this like really great like scene with her and like breaks down kind of crying and stuff and just trying to explain to her how much he loves her and stuff and Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but they took that out of the film and it's just like a really great example of how good of a fucking actor Rob Williams is. He's just like a really good actor who can be vulnerable mm-hmm. at times. Um, but like you could get lost in Robin Williams sometimes. Like it, I think that's like, what's great about his filmography be really awesome. I know we've talked about hook and I've always talked about how that's like one of my favorite Robin Williams roles. Cause it feels mm-hmm. so unlike Robin Williams. And, but what I mean by that is like, it shows a different side to him, a different range where he can, of course, play those bits where he's goofy and quirky like he is in this mm, film a thingy, lot. Yeah. But there's the moments where he's like the asshole dad that you just never knew he could be because he's like the total opposite in this film. He's like the great dad. He's the fun dad. He's the love, lovely <laughs> dad. You know, he's a fuck up dad, but like most dads are. <laughs> but like when you get the other side of it where it's like the, the asshole dad in Hook, it's like, holy shit, man. It's like, just really delivering and he feels like a different person and he's got some roles out there like deep in his arsenal like deep in his filmography that like a lot of people probably have never really ventured into if they only sort of know robin williams the comedy actor but like the serious roles like fisher king and stuff it's like unbelievable Mm. so good (laughs) like he's so good in that film it's unbelievable he's a completely different person in that um yeah he's a great great actor man great actor r.i.p Uh, I remember being at the cinema when, when he passed away. Um, like, I think I had a shift. Uh, we sort of did like last minute, like, I think it was like for some charity, I think as well. I get charity screening of, of one of his films. I can't remember, or maybe it was a few films. And, uh, yeah, it was just like a really like somber and sad, like experience, you know, like, you know, but it was like, people really just showing up to support and love, like show their love for Robin Williams and stuff. And it was like, I remember that moment. It just like really kind of took over the whole internet as well. It was just like a big, 
thing. It's like one of those people that so many people loved, you know, that it's like hard to imagine, especially at such a young age, you know, that he was gone, you know, and it's like one of those, like, you know, cause you probably, I think everybody probably has those certain people where they think, oh man, like I can't imagine like hearing about the news of this person dying just cause even though I don't know them personally, it's just like their work or whatever. It's just so important to me. It was like, mm-hmm. I think Robin Williams was like one of those sort of people and you probably didn't really think about it because you didn't really consider him to be that old of a person. That was the hardest hitting one I've experienced. And it's weird, it's always weird to say that with celebrities. Like you don't know these people, but they are like a part of your life. Especially yeah. like TV and film, like you invite them into your home and they're very much, can be, become quite important to you. They can be almost like a sort of, secondary like family member yeah. to a certain extent yeah, yeah. but like my well, even that, dad, just being you know inf- yeah it's <laughs> tv dad but you know they can just be influential on you mm. for like or be part of things that you find formative yeah. on that show that you loved or this movie you really attached to or they made this album that you're obsessed with so it's hard to, it's weird a weird feeling and like I mean, we've experienced it a lot as wrestling fans, and yeah, it's a yeah, weird, yeah, yeah. it's a weird thing because it's no, not not so much now. Obviously, the industry has improved quite a bit, but like, especially in the two thousand, like a lot of people die die young and die earlier than they yeah, need yeah. to. Um, and it's just weird, yeah. It's just Robin Williams, I remember hitting me very hard because now he was very much a hero of mine, and it, it, it's a weird thing to talk about because you don't know these people, but like, you do feel a lot and it's like it's hard to go back to the movies because they're so enjoyable like I can't help every time I watch like a hook or Mr. Doubtfire or Dead Poet or Good Will Hunting or Good Morning Vietnam or like let you pick any film I, it's always the same feeling at the end which is like fuck I miss Robert Williams yeah 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 like he was so fucking so good. good man yeah um, but yeah it's a, it's a weird feeling yeah definitely I mean I don't know. I guess it's a good time as any to just be like, you know, if you're feeling bad about anything, talk to someone. Yeah, um, because that was something that I was really, it was really nice to hear uh, from um, Lisa Jacob, who played Lydia, the older daughter. She was just talking about how great Robin Williams was. And like, she was talking about how she had anxiety and stuff and depression at times. And he, was really open to her about his experiences with depression and anxiety and all that and would really help her out through it and stuff. So mm-hmm. he was just like, great, man. He's fucking cool. Shit. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, uh, even more somber note, Phil, that's us wrapping up the Philiversary for now, for now. Fuck, is that the end? Yeah, because we've had enough of 1993, so now it's time that, you know, we thought we'd uh, take a look at something that's a little bit closer to our hearts for a bit, and that's, you know, films that are about cinema in some way, shape, or form. And we'll kick that off next week with... Fuck, 1993. What? 1993? Again? Another one? I thought we were done. Wait, fuck, man. All right, 1993's... Okay, one more. Last Action Hero! (laughs) (laughs) That's good. You know, uh, they should have probably, you know, put me in that costume. I could have played Mrs. Doubtfire. I bet I could have done a great job. He didn't knock this time. No, I don't. I don't. I don't think so, Mr. Ventura. I, I think that. You know, I had a 
you know, I could have been in this film, but you know, I had a little too much going on on my plate, you know, because if you if you uh, been keeping all of my oh, filmography, oh, really? you know, you would have known mm. that I was in Demolition Man. So I, I basically, you know, it was all tied up, you know, so I couldn't. Yeah, yeah. Couldn't do this. You mostly cut out of that movie, though, from what I remember. Hey, they didn't ask me if I wanted to be cut out of that film. <laughs> I did the work. I I did the work. (laughs) And if they did ask me, I would have said, I don't care.